When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you go out into the world and you see what other people are experiencing, um, you, you know, you quickly go into gratitude for what you're dealing with, for one thing. And it, it gives you that perspective and it, it allows me to get grounded back into the earth. Like I, I just go out, my thing is being out in the jungles or in the forest and I just get, you know, back into the earth and breathe in some clean oxygen. And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember why I'm doing this. This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait, am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Hey everybody, welcome to the Dreamcatchers Podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I have a special treat for you guys and gals out there in the tribe. I have one of the most interesting people I've met in a really long time in with me today, and I'm not going to steal all the thunder, but Sophia, how are you? And where are you? Because you're a little nomadic. Are you in Texas? Are you in Boston? Like, where are you? Well, this week I am in North Carolina, in Asheville, North Carolina. No way. She's down the street. And she didn't even tell me she was coming to the state, ladies and gentlemen. This is how it goes here on the Dreamcatchers podcast. And so the listeners are like, why is he saying she's interesting? And I want you to tell them a little bit about yourself because you are playing a different game, ma'am. Yeah, well, my intention is to live a life of purpose on purpose. Um, So I'm one of the first women to own a crypto hedge fund. Um, I'm super passionate about women's financial sovereignty. You can see me speaking about that all over the world. And currently right now, I'm using shipping containers and technology to build affordable smart cities, smart communities, smart developments where where people thrive and they have um, the basic... um, necessities for humanity is provided for and we focus on entrepreneurship and small businesses so there's over 200 small businesses in our community that we're looking at and um, it also provides for you know clean water um, really nutritionally dense food that's grown on site as well as we're fully integrated with blockchain technology financial sovereignty that's fancy what does that mean (laughs) so um even in the U.S., there's there's a lot of countries where women are dependent upon um, either their families or their domestic partners, um, be it their husband or whatever. And I started doing research years ago, and I, I started putting together all of humanity's concerns, like all the challenges that we're facing. And I had a mentor years ago that told me if you had a particularly sticky situation, especially one that was... Um, along that frame of mind of it's always been that way, it will always be that way. He he suggested that I look, look for and identify the source. Like all challenges have some type of source. And he goes, and that's where you're going to have the most leverage. So I started writing up, I had this like war wall, like this huge wall in my house. It was a good 15, 20 foot wall. And I just started adding sticky notes everywhere. And like, just, and then I started grouping everything together and formulating groups. And at the the source of 
everything that I was looking at, I was like, it's women, women are at the source of everything. And, um, which is a good thing because they're the source of the problem, but they're also the solution. So I, I started reading case studies about where, when women are given money, the whole community rises. Whereas when men are given money, their business tends to rise. They're very competitive in nature and women are much more collaborative. So then I went and did further studies and I saw that there were tons of white papers with evidence that said that when women are financially sovereign, meaning that they have their own money, their own way of generating um, their livelihood, that they went to school further. So they went further in their education. They had kids later in life. They had fewer kids. They choose better domestic partners and they took better care of their mental and physical well-being. So when you focus on the women right there, you've eliminated poverty, you've um, bolstered mental health and you've reduced um, violence. So in almost all the categories that we look at in humanity's challenges can fit into there. So I just was like, wow, it's that phrase, you know, happy wife, happy life, right? Well, it's the same thing. If mama's not happy, you know, <laughs> the world doesn't work. And it, it, it just goes back to that. So I was speaking with and teaching women about this and about how it's their absolute responsibility to be financially solvent because they're the ones that give birth to the future and they shape the future because the majority of the time, they're the ones that take care of the kids. So therefore they're shaping the future. So that that's what kind of where that came from. And that's, that's why I'm so passionate about that. Well, is it not personal for you too? Like, have you just been a crusader for others or did (laughs) this start because of your own journey? Yeah. So I grew up in a household um, where I left home at 14 um, because I disagreed with how my father was raising me. I thought I could do better and I did way the heck better, which included being homeless and starving. Um, that kind of gives you a little indication of what my childhood was like. I, I witnessed uh, my father berating my mother on a daily basis in all forms of five abuse. Uh, and uh, there was this moment when I was about, I believe I was like eight years old. And uh, my mother was sitting at the dining room table. And back then we had real, like real wooden tables. Like this was a real solid oak table. It was super heavy. And, and uh, she was sitting facing me and my father was standing over her. And my mother grew up in a time in a period where women's education was just not valued. And she grew up on a ranch. So she was um, only allowed to go to school till sixth grade. And after that, she had to work the ranch. And um, so she only had a sixth grade education. And uh, my father was standing over her trying to teach her how to balance the checkbook. And, you know, my mother had rudimentary math skills and my father is just certainly not, (laughs) he's not in any way, shape or form, any type of teacher. Um, He's much more of a, somebody that's much more dominant. Um, And he was just, you know, leaning over her, which of course, anybody, when somebody's watching over you like that, you know, and intimidating you in that fashion, she was making lots of mistakes and wasn't learning quick enough. And he was calling her all these names and just really demeaning her. And finally, he got so frustrated with his lack of ability, um, you know, to be able to to teach her that he just picked up the back of her head and he just smashed it against the, the table and it shook the whole house. It was so loud. And again, as I was facing her, when her face came up from the impact, it was flattened and there was just blood everywhere. And it was in that moment that I, I, I just, I recognized and realized that my mother had no power to leave my father in the beginning of my um, childhood. She wasn't allowed to work. So therefore she had no money and two small kids and couldn't leave him because she, and she had no education to fall back on to try to get employment or, or get help. And later on, even when he did allow her to work, uh, she, he controlled the checkbook. So she wasn't even allowed access to her own money. So I just saw quickly how that, um, how the lack of financial solvency for women, how it just generated and and created this vicious cycle of poverty, of violence, of um, mental health instability. And then when I started traveling after I left home, I immediately started traveling the world. And I saw that same cycle repeat over and over again in all kinds of areas. It's not just a a poverty thing. It's systemic in, in many different areas. There's lots of women that I know that are very well, um, high class and still in the same situation. So I, that's when I just became very passionate and adamant about 
for myself being um, a leader and a role model to show women that you can come from any situation and still be able to rise above that and, and thrive and, and to be able to show other women, um, you know, coming from the streets, from, from living in my car, sometimes from living on the streets to, to not having money to eat, that you can still rise above all of that and um, change your, you know, your ancestral heritage of, of that and go against whatever the social norms are um, in your, in your area. Cause there are some countries where it's just not um, conducive to women getting ahead and crypto has changed that it's changed the scene because it's allowed for um, financial sovereignty, meaning that you don't have to have a bank account where your husband has to sign for it. Cause there's many countries where you can't own things. The male still has to own it and you have the prominence has to come from the male. Um, and it wasn't that long ago when even women in the U S could get away with stuff like that. You know, you still had to have your husband's permission to sign accounts and whatnot. So this cryptocurrency just, just blew on the scene and, and, and it broke through all kinds of barriers. It's broken through the gender barrier, um, allowing women, um, to be able to, um, open accounts and become global instantly with their businesses and be able to have anonymity so that they could um, function um, without having to, you know, let their family or their partners know about what's going on with them so that they could take care of themselves. And if they had children. Yikes. Wow. So, man, there's so many different places I could go. Sophia, I, one, I, I just want to thank you for being so transparent. I, uh, yeah. I could feel you kind of tense up when you were recalling that traumatic experience with your mom. And I think you probably made a decision at that point that this will never be me. And mm. you went on this journey. And so you said you left home at 14. It had to be terrifying unless there was like some relative where you could go kind of hang out. How did you get the courage to do it? Or was it just that bad at home that you were confident that anything was better than this? Yeah, it was. It, yeah, it certainly wasn't courage. It was a uh, survival. I I just really felt that my life was um, in absolute jeopardy. And the more I, I knew that the more that I got exposed to that, the, the more that it would become my story. Um, and I, I needed to break away from that and, and get away from that type of um, abuse and mentality and role modeling that, that I was shown, or I would never have a chance at happiness and, and <laughs> mental stability and love and all of those things. So yeah, it, Anything would have been better at that moment. I shouldn't say anything. The streets were a better choice at that time than what I was experiencing at home. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't have any family. I did try to go to family and they turned me right over to him. And I, and I understand, you know, looking back now, they were scared of him and they also didn't want to believe what was going on because if they believed my story, then they were culpable for decades of allowing him to do what he did to my brother, to myself, to my mother they stood by and watched and, and didn't do anything. So I, I can get that it put them in a really hard position. Yeah. And most people don't want to accept that position if that is the position that they've been in, because everybody wants to feel like they're a good person, at least deep down inside. So most people don't make it back from the streets. You, you've talked about building developments. You've talked about a cryptocurrency fund like how, how do you go into the streets and then emerge? So, you know, I'm sure the listeners are like, well, did she finish high school? Cause I mean, you're, you might not even have been a freshman at that point. Uh, I was a freshman. It was a couple months into my freshman year. I think it was a two months into my freshman year. Uh, so first of all, I, w I really want to make it very, very clear. Uh, you do not need to finish school at all. Like, I don't care if it's grade school, high school, college, that is, um, if, if that is your story, your excuse right now, then, you know, you need to give it up because with the invention of the internet, you can learn and do anything you want. You, you have the whole world's information, everything that you want to do, be, learn is possible within your fingertips on your phone, not even a computer. Like you don't even have to go to the library. You just got to be able to have a phone. So in many third world countries, they have those things um, much more so than Americans um, have. So I just want to make that really evident and clear. And yes, I, I mean, I was I was always incredibly um, curious as a child. Um, still am. Um, I was I, I, I 
consume books at a rapid, frantic rate. I, I'm, I'm much more of a craver of knowledge. I'm, I'm always asking why, you know, it tends to be annoying for some people because they think I'm challenging them where, you know, where I'm just, just a voracious learner and I'm committed to continuous growth, continuous growth and development of myself. Um, and that helped me through. And I always sought mentors. I was given a book. One of my first books I was given uh, when I left home was uh, Think and Grow Rich, which I read every year. There's a couple of books that I read every year. Um, and that's one of them. And in it, it talks about like every chapter talks about having um, a mastermind. And so I quickly sought mentors. Um, and I've had mentors from a very, very young age and still to this day, there's always somebody that, um, has more knowledge in specific areas than I do, or that it's obtained a, a certain type of success and I can learn from them. And so I always seek counsel and, and uh, have mentors around me. And that is something, you know, that will get you off the streets is y- your ability to, um, to learn. And even if you're just studying people, but you can always, you know, there's always a businessman that's passing you by and you can say, Hey, you know, I don't have money to get you a cup of coffee, but could, could we, we sit and talk? I've got some questions. I'm in a tight spot <clears throat> and it seems like you're a little bit more elevated for me right now. And I, I would, you know, I'm trying to figure this out and it would go like conversations like that. And then I would just start, you know, and sometimes that's how I would get my meal. Cause I would just be authentic with them and tell them where I'm at and just ask them you know, who did you have to be to get to where you are? You don't want to ask people, what did they do to get to where they're at? Because uh, you, you may not be able to duplicate what they do, or you may not even want to, you may not even have an interest in that. You know, like if you go up to an Olympian, um, you may not have that particular aptitude or, you know, body type for doing what they did, but what you can focus on and what you can absolutely duplicate is the dedication and the discipline it took for them to get to compete at that, at that level. And that is what's important for you to learn and get from people. And and I would just study people. And I still do to this day. I read a lot of biographies and, and autobiographies. And, and I, I just, um, I love to study um, what people say is success to them because you want to study from people that have an alignment to what you believe is success because if you study from someone that has a misalignment, then you're going to go that route and may find, which is the second thing I study is you may find that you're not happy. So I also study happiness. I'm actually um, co-authoring a book with Greg Ree and a few other authors on um, the secret to happiness. And so I think that what you study on and what you focus on expands. So be careful what you pay attention to. Um, and what's prominent in your life. So if you're always constantly watching the news or TV or the, the, that's going to be your life, especially if you're watching like that real TV stuff that's been going on for the last 20 years, you're watching other people live a life instead of you living it. So that's what's going to be your life is other people doing what you'd rather be doing. So those are, yeah, some of the, the ports. But yes, I did finish to answer your question. I did finish high school. I started college. I got an early scholarship when I was 16 started college. Um, so by the time I graduated from high school, I had completed, um, my associate's degree. I had a, um, Microsoft certified uh, certification. One of, I think I was like the second class back then. Um, I had started my first company when I was, you know, a few, a few days after my 18th birthday. And, um, so I've always been in real estate and technology. I went on to do college, but none of that stuff, I, I want to be very clear, that stuff, that the linear education, that is not what helped me get to where I'm at. It was everything that I learned. I've spent probably over $200,000, probably more than that, on my personal development in my education outside of linear education. And that has gotten me the farthest, going into masterminds, taking um, very specialized, quick education on very specific things. That has been much more um, of a proponent of my success than 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 linear education, traditional linear education. So, who showed up along the way to help you? Because I mean, this is not a journey that you could go on by yourself. Man, that list is is so long. I I've had I I've had teachers that. Um, have recognized the hard spot I was in and have, they fed me books. They, they went and bought me books. 
because I, you know, couldn't afford to to buy my own books and they just fed me knowledge. Um, I've had politicians that have stepped in and um, have spent time with me, spent many lunches with me, breakfasts, um, coffee meetings with me and educated me and um, my thirst for knowledge. I mean, I've had so many people and strangers, amazing strangers that have just recognized something in me and fed me like librarians. I, I There's so many librarians that I owe so much to that would give me use of a conference room or allow me to come in earlier while they were, you know, doing their things or stay later so I could read and have a safe place to be at. Um, there's, uh, God, there's shop owners that would, you know, and all the people that let me crash on their couch so that I was safe. And even the people that I was running with that were into things that were probably um, on the illegal side, but they never allowed it to come around me. I remember being in a home with a bunch of kids and um, I don't know what they were doing to make all that money um, so that we had this big house. Um, I have no idea, but I do know that I heard it was back during the, when the rave crews came out and there were all these like dance crews, rave crews that were throwing these massive raves and they were charging like $20 a head. And they were having like 10,000 people show up in this warehouse. And I don't, I don't even know how they had permission to be in the warehouse. And so they're making a lot of money every week. And, um, you know, I stayed at one of these houses, one of these crash pads and, um, I was the only one that they, I still had to get up, go to school, <laughs> to like do all of my stuff. So, and, and, you know, no one else did that, but there was something that people saw in me. Um, I, I was, I always knew where I was going. And I think that's really important. If you don't have a, a game plan, a, a, a destination, then life will choose it for you. You know? So I, I, I would tell everybody and anybody this is where I'm going to. It doesn't matter what it looks like right now. I know where I'm in. And then you don't worry about the cursed house. That's not your job. I don't know what your spiritual beliefs are, but that's God. That's the universe that there's somebody, whoever, you know, whatever, there's somebody with a much more higher vantage point that can see the entire chessboard, And they're figuring that out for you. It's your job to tell them what you want so they can put you into position you know, and so I, I'm really adamant about um, paying particular attention to my vocabulary because your words create your world and thoughts are things. So your thoughts, your words, your actions, they all make you manifest into things. And I'm, I'm very clear that I, I knew when I saw those things happening with my mom and when I left, I had made certain choices and decided that that was not going to be my fate that I was going to be happy um, regardless of what was going on in my life and that I was going to experience um, and be experience and be loving, like experience love and be loving. And that I was going to serve a purpose and um, that I was going to use what had I, what I had gone through to be able to um, contribute back to others. And I really feel like when I look back at my life and my experiences, I, everything leads up to what I'm doing. Everything leads up to what I'm doing. The fact that I make sure that everybody has a home, that everybody has food, clean water, the fact that everybody has a financial pathway, you know, to grow their finances, all of that leads and stems back from my experiences. So while I wouldn't wish it on anyone, what I, what I experience, I also um, am grateful for those experiences that have uh, allowed me to step into this position and, and do something that, um, has yet to be done before. Whoa. So, I mean, when you were getting started, you, you didn't know anything about crypto. Like, how did you, how did you, cause you were like one of the first women, if not the first woman founder of a fund, like take me down this path because it's one that's not traveled very often. Yeah. Um, so I had been spending a lot of time abroad in different third world countries working with women um, and women and working in lots of different um, tribes and whatnot, where they were unable to like trade outside of their own like village. They didn't have a way there. There were no like cars or roads or there just there wasn't the mechanisms to be able to trade outside of their villages with other people. And so therefore their businesses could, were very stunted in growth. They could only do what, you know, what the village could supply for them. And so when crypto came on the scene, 
it allowed for immediate transfer of funds um, anywhere in the world. And back then, this is like before Americans really took the phones, like third world countries embraced cell phone technology, smartphone technology very, very rapidly um, because it was very inexpensive for them to be able to get that. And this is even in places that don't, don't that don't even have uh, really good like electricity. And what they would do is I would see like a village, somebody in the village, um, like one store, everybody would pull their money and one store would get electricity, get a plug. And then everybody would take turns charging their mobile devices. And then they would all create businesses and then they would raise funds for the next store to get electricity. And so, so it was a, a community effort and to to build upon each other and collaborate and it all usually revolved around the women the women would manage and handle this um so i just started working with them and 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 showing them how to do businesses and um i came upon this one um project that was working with um with wagons and it was amazing to see so there was a woman that had you know she would stay in her position all day and sell whatever she was selling and she was gifted a wagon and um, with the stipulation that when she um, could pay back for the wagon, she would then forward it so that another woman could get a wagon. Now, a wagon doesn't seem like much, but when you have a wagon, you're now mobile. You now have a mobile business. You can now like transport your wares because when it was just her having to carry things, she could only carry it and put it in one place. So now she could travel and go to different locations. So now her business area grew, you know, uh, her, 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 her sellers grew from that. And then she quickly learned that she could only work so many hours. So she would work a certain amount of hours and then she would loan the wagon to another woman and that woman would work another amount of hours. So like in, in a, in for, with one wagon, um, you could have three women working different hours and so that they could still take home, you know, take care of their families and stuff at home. So I just saw this like amazing ability that, that women have for collaboration, for resiliency and, and, you know, and what they add to the way they think out of the box, out of, out of, you know, necessity, it just makes that women, you know, they just, we have a different way of thinking than men and it comes from a different way. So I see businesses and I start studying businesses that bring on more board members as women, more executives as women and how they, how quickly their dynamics change and their finances change when they do that. And um, so that's just an area of focus for me. A lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential, but lack the strategy, support and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals. They often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own, causing frustration, fatigue, and eventually failure. We have developed a model for a center life, aka the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. Yummy. Yummy. So you saw crypto was creating new opportunity for folks. But how do you place yourself in the flow of that? Because mm -hmm. there's a natural So when you gap. say you, meaning people, how do, how, do, how do everyday people that aren't no, in the... No, you as in Sophia. Ah, you as in Sophia. Me as in Sophia. All right. Well, uh most people might be surprised to know that they've been dealing with digital currency for at least 20 years, everybody. Um, and that's the fact that if you've ever used a debit card or credit card, you've been in digital currency. So there really is no difference. Um, and in, in that sense, you know, digital currency is something that you've been using and you can get debit cards that pull out of your crypto account, exactly the way your debit card pulls out of your fiat account, your bank account. Right. So, and you don't know how that credit card works. It just, or the debit card, you know, you put it in and money comes out. That's all you need to know. What's the same thing with the debit cards for the crypto accounts. So how did I put myself in that place? So it's the same formula that I've done with, with all of the things that I've, I've built up. I'm, I've got a superpower of putting together teams so I can look at something. And again, it's not my job to know how, um, I really, really researched Henry Ford, his, his um, life when he was brought up on, when he went to court to um, when he was defamed and called um, 
basically an idiot. And, you know, his, his thing was, you know, and they asked him all these questions in court, you know, all these things that supposedly everybody should know that would prove that you're a smart man. And he didn't know how to answer these questions because they were ridiculous questions about wars, facts and, and whatnot. And he said, well, I'll have, you know, it at, in my office, I have a row of buttons in front of me. And at any moment I can push a button, have any question I need answered, answered. And that's stuck with me because it's not about what you know. It's It really is about who you know and how to get that information that you need to know. So again, we have the internet. So that answers a lot of things, but also just putting together people um, that are experts in what they do and getting them to play in the same sand um, sandbox, right? And And so that's what I'm able to do. So when crypto really became a massive thing, I, I went and there was only a handful of people in the world at that time and still even now that are major players in that area. And so I started interviewing all of them. I started traveling and interviewing and sitting down with them and watching them and studying them and asking them questions and pretending every time I went to one of them, I'd be like, you know, what is this crypto thing? I don't understand. I, I would, because if I told them I knew it, then they would skip over things that might be really pertinent. So I would act like the most ditziest girl and you know coming as a girl they expect you to be ditzy anyway so i just played into the role and i would sit with them and just grab knowledge from them and 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 then until i came upon my partner um my business partner and there was finally somebody that i met that was in the space where our our ideals our um our motivations and our intentions and our thoughts about what crypto like crypto being a true gift to humanity were in alignment. And that's when I, you know, made a proposition to him and we, we, you know, we started the, you know, like, I was just like, I just want to shadow you. I just want to learn from you and shadow you. And then he told me about his thoughts about doing a crypto hedge fund. And so we got together and did that. Wow. And so like the SEC, like there's gotta be like a lot of complicated stuff that goes into that. Was there a time when you were on this journey where you question whether or not you were doing the right thing? Was there like a rock bottom on that piece of the journey? Oh, not with the hedge fund. That one was pretty straightforward because there had been some court cases that had gone through and um, that a lot we knew once these court cases went through and they were final, we knew we could go through with that. I will say with the smart city, oh my gosh, um, it wasn't until I started working on the smart city that I realized how small I'd been playing in life. Now that's going to sound funny to people hearing about some of my accomplishments and some of my endeavors, but I, up until I started working on the smart city, I, I only worked on things that I knew I would win in like the hedge fund. I knew that was going to be good. Why? Because I had one of the best people in the world as my business partner. The sec had gone through court cases would pave the way for us. I knew there were just steps to do. You had to just do the steps and, and then you were good. So there wasn't any like, um, real courage that was needed in that. Uh, the smart city though, this thing is, it's, it's such a, I mean, any real estate development is huge to begin with, right? You're building your, you know, when you build a real estate development, it's different than building like just residential homes. You know, you've got a commercial aspect to it in um, any developer that's gone through this um, at least their first time you're, you're just like, and, and we don't have any precedence. Now there's plenty of real estate developments, right? That you can model after. There's also plenty of real estate developments made out of shipping containers. That's another thing that, you know, every component of our project is already su super successful on its own out in the market. It's the fact that there's nothing that has brought them all together, that we don't have anything to model after. And there's the fact that because of that, I'm having to paint this picture for investors and, you know, and it, as it stands, it's going to be the the format, the model that smart cities are going to look at going forward and other, other developers are going to look at going forward. So that there's many times where I'm like, who do I think I am that I can do this? You know, because the outside world tells me that constantly, I have lots of investors that say, um, you know, this is too complicated or, <laughs> you know, somewhere along that, that line of thought. And yeah, I have those moments where I can hear that voice. I never heard it before. Or if I did, it was always my champion, my cheerleader, but that voice of, you know, that it's called self-doubt, but it's the voice of, you know, what am I doing? 
you know, I've, I've, I've sold two homes. I've sold my car. I've sold everything I could to possibly put into these two projects, my hedge fund in Alma smart city. And, you know, yeah, there's moments where I'm like, I, who do I think I am to be able to do this? And I, I know now, um, that there's yet a person that's achieved mass massive success that has not heard those voices of self-doubt that doesn't, um, you know, challenge himself. I, you know, at least the ones that I've run into that I've interviewed and, 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 and discussed with, they've all had these moments of, you know, um, where you, you reach bottom and you're like, God, I don't know if I can give one more ounce towards this because there's no clear, um, acknowledgement of success. You know, there's just not a clear, you, you don't know if something that you put your heart and soul to, and this is just like the path of the, the hero's journey or the path of an entrepreneur. You go out to do something, you can do your market testing. You can do all of the stuff that, that, you know, increases your chances of viability, but when you launch and when you do things, you know, you, you're still in the hands of, um, of fate pretty much at that moment, no matter how much you've worked towards it, you can build your own luck and stuff, but you're still, you know, you can still have a pandemic come out of nowhere. <laughs> you know, you could still have a war that pops up that um, in the middle of a pandemic with a recession looming. I mean, can't, <laughs> those are all factors in it. So yeah, I've had moments where I wasn't, you know, sure of a clear path to get through. When I first started my smart, um, the smart city, we had raised um, over a hundred million in funds and, uh, and right during COVID, like right as COVID had hit. And so when it became evident around April, May, when it became evident that COVID was going to be something that was going to be dealt with for quite some time, our funders pulled out. So it was, it was, you know, it was devastating to have a project that I'd worked for, put a, you know, sacrificed a lot for, and then have our funders pull out. And then there was at that point in time, there was nobody, I mean, it was at the beginning of 2020, there was nobody that wanted to put in massive, I mean, nobody, nobody was moving at that point. Um, in, as far as developments, you know, there were a lot of other opportunities being made, but not in developments because people didn't know what the world was going to look like at that time. And, and plus you couldn't really develop things because people weren't leaving their houses and stuff. So I've had plenty of those right. moments. So you, you've overcome all these challenges and the listener is like, man, she, she keeps going. She keeps fighting through it. Do you ever get tired? Oh yeah. Yeah, I do. And you know, Simon Sinek, he has this incredible book and his Ted talk, I think is like the second most popular Ted talk um, that there is. And it's like, start with why, and you, you know, your why is what's going to get you under over through and around any obstacle. Um, and anybody that's accomplished any great feats in, in, in athleticism, they, they have a strong why to get up at three 30 in the morning. I'm sure rock, <laughs> you know, the rock has an incredible strong why Michael Jordan, all, you know, all of these people um, have these incredible strong whys, but you know, I, th I think about there's these moments where I want to stop or hell, you know, I, I could use a day where I just, what is it called when they go through all the TV shows and um, like you, yeah, I, I don't even know the word because I'm like, I haven't owned or watched TV since nine 11. You know, I, I made a conscious decision at that moment that like, you know, I want to work on my life. So there's plenty of people that are like, oh, you know, they like to slam successful people like, oh, what do they do that they make all their wealth that, you know, whether it's in like a sports person that shouldn't be getting paid a hundred million in contract, really, because you're up there every day foregoing, you know, all these fun activities so that, you know, you don't drink and you watch your diet and you, <laughs> and you're like, your mind is your, you know, and your body is your temple. Like I, I just see all these people that have these lackadaisical comments about people that are out there doing this successful thing. And uh, yeah, it just blows my mind. But um, I, I guess it would be easier to lay down and be the norm, right? It would be easier to, to, to justify you know, to rest on my past and be like, well, look, this happened to me. So therefore, you know, I deserve a life of mediocrity. I mean, that sounds horrible. And, and, and also that's so focused on me. I really, I just, I have it that, you know, humans at 
our core. We are pulled to contribute to each other, to contribute to the world. And you just get beaten down so many times that you start to believe that it's better to just watch out for yourself or to just get by. And um, it would certainly be easier. It, it would be really easier. It'd be a lot easier to do that. You know, I, I have somebody who I consider my older sister, not by blood, but my older sister. And I, many times she's had this perfect, beautiful life with a man that she married when she was very, very young in her early twenties, who's a, a lot more her senior. And they've had this perfect, beautiful life. And a lot of times we sat over dinner and she said, what did I do to deserve such a perfect life? And I've held my tongue because I'm super grateful for what, you know, this beautiful life she's had yet her life has been about them. She's never really ever reached out to go beyond their perfect life. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that there's, we all have choices and in, until, and when you're in survival, this is like Maslow's hierarchy. When you're in survival, yes, you still have a choice to help others. It's just a lot harder and a lot more complicated to do it, to help others, you know, to really help somebody from down below, you, you need to be above them to be able to pull them up. I mean, you can push, but it's way easier to pull and have them also use their strength to get up. It's much more empowering that way. And I just, so when I have those moments, I go and I recharge, I go out into the world. Um, I think a lot of people, especially Americans have, don't have that perspective because they haven't been out and they tend to think that their suffering is um, a great level, which it is to them. But when you go out into the world and you see what other people are experiencing and you, you know, you quickly go into gratitude for what you're dealing with for one thing. And it, it gives you that perspective and it, it allows me to get grounded back into the earth. Like I, I just go out, my thing is being out in the jungles or in the forest and I just get, you know, back into the earth and breathe in some clean oxygen. And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember why I'm doing this. I remember what I went through uh, when I was young. And I remember seeing lots of women on my travels going through that stuff. I mean, human trafficking, there's a lot of human trafficking is from uh, people that um, whose whose parents sold them with 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 the the idea that they were going to go somewhere better that somebody richer was going to take them and raise their kids. So right there, if they were financially solvent, that would have never happened, and that would stop a lot of human trafficking. That's just like one small example. This is heavy stuff, Sophia. Oh my goodness. So, and. I mean, yeah, there's nothing wrong with just focusing on your home, but there's so much more that you can impact. And we have that capacity. And I think so many of us don't actually accept that calling. So kudos to you for, I'll say, sacrificing your life in service of others, because I think it, it takes a very special person to make that level of investment. A lot of folks, they, they want to do the stuff that doesn't really hurt, right? They talked about uh, in, in the Bible somewhere, there's a story of somebody giving their last versus somebody giving a, a small fraction of all the things they had. And the person, even though they gave their last and it was a smaller amount than the person who gave more, they basically suggested that their gift was worth more in total because of the level of sacrifice necessary for it. And you know, I think there's a lot of people out there who are probably listening and saying, and this is super inspiring. Like, what is she working on next? And you mentioned the smart city, but I don't think you've actually broken it down outside of saying all these things are working independently and we're bringing them together. So like, I assume smart cities is the next dream that you're most focused on catching. So will you, will you tell us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we are building a pilot um, real estate development community. Um, the first one's going to be in the Phoenix metro area in Arizona, and it's built out of shipping containers. It's on 40 plus acres. So we have over 300 homes that we're building. There's uh, an event center, a community center, a collaborative workspace, a makerspace where people can do fabrication, 3D printing. We have a school there that's going to be from kindergarten to um high school that's focused on entrepreneurship versus linear. So hands-on experiential uh, training and development where, you know, you can either go the entrepreneur route or you can go the trade route and you'll have an adult certification when you get out of high school and can go right into your trade. 
Um, we also um, incorporate the elders. Um, so they're the only ones that still know how to do things. So we really make sure that they're a, a really massive viable force in the community. And when the, when the kids get out of school, those that aren't in athletic programs, they can go hang out with the seniors in the makerspace and learn how to build things and fix things. Likewise, the seniors can then go with the kids in the collaborative workspace and learn technology. So we also, on the ground level, have 200 small businesses. Um, so these are, you know, all startup businesses, mom and pop shops, where the the residents would live right above their their business. So it's a very collaborative space. It's it's filled with art and music, and um, it's also got a, a digital twin in the metaverse that will be built first. So um, that will be viable, and it, we grow our own agriculture, enough food for over a thousand residents, the two hundred businesses, and the surrounding communities. So this is just the first one of many. Then we have um, nine cities identified in six states, and then we go global almost consecutively uh, after that. So this it's tokenized. It's integrated with blockchain technologies that's tokenized. So it really allows the public investors and the residents alike to partake in um, in a financial pathway and, and partake partake in, in the wealth of the community and um, building it. So it uh, really provides for and incentivizes the people that live there. The intention is, is that their, um, their financial incentivizations uh, provide for their housing um, and their food because it's grown on site and thus allows them to have their basic necessities provided for. So all they have to focus is on their contribution back to society, which is their businesses right below them. Wow. You're a big thinker, ma'am. No question about it. No question about it. And so I'm sure they're like, man, I want to learn more about Sophia. What's the best way for folks to learn more about you, smart cities, the crypto hedge fund, financial sovereignty for women that could keep going? <laughs> yeah. So um, Eversmart City is probably the best way to connect with me. It's That's the name of our smart city project is Eversmart, one word, Eversmart City. And you can find that on all of our handles um, throughout all the social medias. Um, and you can directly contact me there. Um, I don't know if you put out links. If you put out links on your podcast, I'm happy to give some direct links. Um, I'm very um, committed to women learning this. So I have group trainings and individual trainings on blockchain, which would include crypto, NFTs, metaverse, um, teaching people, giving them solid basic foundations, foundational language and knowledge about that space so that they can either move themselves personally into it or their businesses, because Web3 is where we're all going. And if you're not familiar with all those terms, it's not a question of if it's going there, it's when. And just like when businesses had to move into the digital era with the internet, businesses are now going to have to move into the metaverse and, and have, um, you know, to be competitive, to play there in the space and also to start accepting crypto and um, utilizing NFTs for their products and whatnot to be on the blockchain for sure, because that, that gives integrity to what you're doing in transparency. Just like Walmart a few years back uh, made it mandatory for all of their vendors to be on the blockchain. And if they weren't, they couldn't. They, that's why a lot of products went away in, in Walmart if they weren't able to, to move on to the blockchain because it, it lends to transparency in supply chain. It makes it um, very easy to handle supply chain issues. So that, um, yeah, Ever Smart City is the best way to get a hold of me through that and, and direct messaging me. Okay. So the final question is when I ask everybody is what's the one thing you want listeners to take away from our episode? Yeah. So I think if you were to look at the last two years of COVID, this pandemic, there's this beautiful collateral beauty. If you're willing to look that um, what I witnessed was uh, humanity coming back to heart. And there was a lot of tinkering that's been going on. We're going to see massive technological advances because of this tinkering, because there was always this voice that I, whoever you are, you've heard it. It's been this insp inspiration, this idea, this, and, and I know everybody's heard it because there's been a moment where you've had this thought where, what if you, what if I, what if there was, and then all of a sudden you didn't act on it. And then all of a sudden you saw that thing on TV, that, that, it, that idea that you had or in the movies or in live, you, you see it walking by and you're like, oh my God, I had that idea. Like everybody's had that moment. 
And Elizabeth Gilbert, the author of E Pray Love, my favorite book that she's ever written is called The Big Magic um, or Big Magic. And um, she talks about it. There's this moment where, um, you know, everybody has this inspiration, this idea, this concept. And if you don't act upon it, it's energy and it moves to the next person. That's why people are like, oh, you know, I thought of that. And then look, somebody else just did it. So that's what she speaks about. And I, I have it that, you know, everybody walk around with a pad of paper. And when you have those ideas, those, those inspirations, whatever your spiritual belief is that it comes from, you know, act upon it and, uh, get away from the cursed house. That's Mike Dooley's thing. You know, don't, it's not your job to figure out how to do it. It's your job just to know the very next step and everything you do, whether that's your personal life, business, whatever you do. You don't need to see the whole road to get to your destination. You just need to see the next step. And I, I really, um, I really challenge people to like look and see where you can expand yourself, and to look at and 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 create your purpose in life. People, I've I've heard people come go go around and say, I'm looking, I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure out what I should do in life. Well, here's a thought humans, what makes us so different than other creatures on this planet is that we're humanifestors. We actually create and manifest those creations. So instead of going around trying to figure out what you want to do in life, you just create it. You just, you have to just speak it, state it, and then take one action towards it so that the universe knows how to direct you. The universe is just a GPS system, right? Like your GPS system can't tell you where to go until you start to move. And then it tells you to go left, go right, or you're on the right course, but you've got to take a step to move to to allow the universe, your GPS system to start working for you. Ooh, if that wasn't a jewel, I don't know what is, ladies and gentlemen. Sophia, thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. I, I just, I love this. man. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. To the listeners, the tribe's with you. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.